Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we accuse Mustard of committing the crime on the Isle of Armor with a Kung Fu Bear. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and joining me, as always, is Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the news from the week, including that Pokemon uh, DLC Direct that happened uh, last week. And then on Thursday, we're going to be determining the best Nintendo game of the decade. But in the meantime, Mark, how you doing? I'm doing so good. Patrick, can I tell you that in December... Mm. I mean, this part you know. I don't need to tell you this part. That in December, we saw each other... A ton. So much. Yeah, because we were like at least three days a week. Yeah, for, yes, for basically the entire month of December until we called it quits. For the year. For the year on December 19th. That was the last time we saw each other. Right. And then I saw you last week, but Mm -hmm. I still feel like, and then we haven't seen each other until tonight. Right. But I still feel like after I got so used to seeing you all the time in December. Yes. That this past week felt like an eternity i was thinking the same thing when you walked in i was like oh man it's mark (laughs) i haven't seen this guy in forever it's been one week it's been one week one week which is to say i'm so happy to be here yeah i'm so happy you're here also uh can i tell you mark uh that as i was uh reading our way through like the the intro there um you kind of like kicked your your foot out a little bit and i was not expecting to see something out of the corner of my eye from under the table just like move i could see it through you, you could. yeah i didn't mean to i was just stretching no and you, it is with well within your right to stretch i had like a moment of panic where i was like is there an animal in my house what is happening i would have handled the situation if there was an animal in your house as a guest, right? I would have done that for you. You would have tackled it for me. I don't know that I'd tackle it, but I would have done something. I would have handled mm, the situation. I see, I see, I see. Tried to make contact with the animal. <laughs> Here's an animal you can make contact with, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. My copy of Sonic Forces. You can try to borrow it by emailing us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. And give us a mailing address where we can send my, cop- my copy of the video game Sonic Forces. Going on... Three years, yeah, a long of time of the Sonic Forces borrowing program. Um, it's also on sale on the Nintendo uh, eShop right now for ten bucks. But don't, don't do that waste to your money. There's a thriving program that you can be a part of. Right, there's a list that you can get on and wait. Uh, how long did you say that <laughs> we've been doing this? Three years, probably about that long at this yeah, point. I think it'll be three years in whenever the game was released. September. Great point. Um, that yeah, that's probably right. Well. Get on that list, uh, and then you can play it for as long as you want, and you send it back. It costs you nothing. It's the perfect program. Um, Mark, are you ready to get into what we've been playing this week? Yeah, let's do it. There was, of course, a Pokemon Direct last week. Mm -hmm. And in that Pokemon Direct, they they introduced us to the idea that there's a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX coming in March, and that there's a demo available right now. Right, and so while we will get to further details about uh, what was in that direct later on in this episode, uh, we both took the time to play through the Mystery Dungeon demo, Mm -hmm. um, which is to say, spent about 40 minutes playing with this thing. Uh, It's not a super generous demo. No, not at all. Um, Have you, previous to this, played a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon game? No, the only... um kind of like rogue-like game that I've played is uh, Sheer and the Wanderer DS, mm-hmm. which I love. I would give almost anything for a Sheer and the Wanderer on Switch. Really? But it's weird. Like, the other types of games like that, I've never really been able to connect with the same way. Maybe it's because Sheeran has a ferret, and I like that. Yeah, so it does, does Sheeran also... Sorry, I don't mean to breeze right past. It has a ferret. That's amazing. Um, but is that also like a kind of turn-based, like the the gameplay in Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is very strange mm-hmm. to me, um, because it it is turn-based in that like when you move a square, that is basically the turn, right? Like, right. There 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 aren't like menus that pop up at every single uh at, 
to like trigger every turn. Yeah, you can open a menu like a, a to choose which attack you're going to use, but by and large, it's just no one else acts until you do. Yes, and that is my memory of what how Sheer and the Wanderer works. Are sure, very similar. Like it's definitely not turn. It's not like menu. Yeah, yeah. Or or and like I don't think it's pure action either. Me. Uh. So I I do like the way this demo opens, which having never played the original game, have have you played the original ones? Yeah, so I I as soon as I turned the game on, like got to the thing that you're about to describe, um, I was like, Oh, I've played I think I played this on DS, um, because it was released at the same time on GBA and DS. Oh. Um, which is crazy, uh, and I love Pokemon Company being like, okay, we'll put a Pokemon game on your new thing, Nintendo, but also the old thing. We're hedging our bets. <laughs> yeah. This weird two-screen thing, I'm not sure. I don't buy it. Um, and so I know that I at least started the game there, and you know that was during the period where like I wasn't playing Pokemon games at all. Um, you know, well after my first sort of, uh, you know, bout of playing them and well before, you know, the more recent years of me actually like playing the games. Um, so I don't think I got very far. I probably played more in this demo than I played on the DS. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, tell, tell me about the, the opening. Okay. So the opening, first of all, I really like the art style. It's kind of like a, a very illustrated children's book, watercolor type aesthetic which i think is really cool so i will agree with that i wish it was tighter though mm, like mm -hmm. um the the aesthetic of it i think is really cool i like the way the colors are like kind of washed out beyond the um like dark outline of of the characters i think that's cool but generally speaking i just wish it was of higher fidelity mm. like it looks like it's a ds game or maybe a 3ds game oh that's interesting i don't think it's that bad i think it definitely shows like it's budget status yeah uh but it i didn't find it off-putting okay um and then y y there's like a orb of light mm -hmm. that is like hey but it's not navi um listen but basically you go through like a quiz and it asks you like a bunch of uh, multiple choice questions and at the end it assigns you a pokemon yeah presumably with, based on the answers that you gave right with the ripcord that in case you want to change what they gave you, because I got Mudkip. I got Mudkip. Oh, really? <laughs> that that actually, I'm not that surprised. That makes perfect sense to me. I don't know what that means. Okay, <laughs> that, that but, we would that we would get the same. Oh, yeah, that is funny. Yeah. So I actually started it twice. Okay. Um, because I I played through it, or you know, played through like the the opening was assigned Charizard, and then I was like, man, I've been doing this for like five minutes, and I'm not playing this game yet. I'm bored, so I switched over to Dragon Quest. Uh, uh, -huh. uh And then when I got back to it, like it hadn't saved yet. <laughs> oh, so of I course. Had, so I had to do the quiz all over again. And let me tell you this: the quiz is not the same. What? Yes. Uh, so it was. It asked me. I don't know if it was entirely a different uh -huh. set of questions, but it like it was a diff. They were different questions. And you ended up with Mudkip. I ended up with Mudkip the so second time. So I was actually glad that I got Mudkip because I've recently, especially after Sword and Shield, am feeling the need or not need but like the desire to play pokemon games with pokemon i am unfamiliar with yes uh because that just seems more fun to me than playing with the same characters that i'm used to over and over mostly gen one yeah so i was mudkip and i was like yes i'm going to be mudkip even though they give me an out i am into being mudkip you don't have to be mudkip if you don't want to be mudkip and then it's like uh pick your partner yes so i was like all right not gonna pick charizard you know not gonna pick P pikachu Instead, I went with Trico, a oh, character yeah. I don't mm -hmm. like. <laughs> but I was like, whatever, it's just a demo. <laughs> Name my Trico, big boy. That, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm Ace. We were rolling. Uh, I thought the demo was fine. Uh, yeah, I was pretty... I mean, I almost immediately remembered why I stopped playing the game in the first place, um, is that it feels very, like slow and everything i mean I'm, I'm sure once it gets more difficult and you have to like strategize about how you're actually going to approach stuff that it feels like a, a meaningful experience but um you know there, there are some quality of life improvements in this version of the game that kind of you know you can put it on auto even more um than like what the game already is so you know in a lot of ways it feels like it plays itself um and you're just like it's just easier to like hold l and like make the character you know walk around the dungeon 
it's what I wanted out of a demo in that mm-hmm. I felt like I was like, ah, I have experienced what I wanted to experience of this, but I don't I don't feel the need to like pick up the full thing when yeah. it comes out in March. Absolutely. And uh, like to to that point, you will have the experience in like a half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, and then you'll know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it is nice that if you uh, do want to pick up the full game that like the progress from your demo goes over. Although now I kind of want to go back and try some of the different yeah, like take the quiz. At the Get another quiz. Try some of the different questions and see which Pokemon. I might just use the demo forever to just like as like a mood ring. Like, How am I feeling what? today? Exactly. Oh, I'm a Pikachu today. <laughs> you can leave the house with confidence. If you call me kind but timid this time. <laughs> Look, uh, I've also been playing Dragon Quest Eleven S: Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. So much so, Mark, that I rolled credits on the game. That is incredible. Thank Congratulations. You. Thank you. At just over 60 hours on the game clock, um, I beat the game. Um, there is significant uh, post-credits content. Uh, it even kind of uh, doesn't feel right to call it post-game. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, fe- I have mixed feelings about what it is. Uh, and I don't. I do not wish to spoil anything sorry, here. You have mixed feelings about the post game content. About the post game content. So sorry. Before we get to that, yes, because I'm very interested in hearing about it. Um, you've talked on the show previously about just how generally positive your experience was with this game. Yes. And now that you've rolled credits, I just want to like do a gut check and make sure that that is still true, and you feel like that it was a really great experience. Really great experience. Uh, heading into the end of the game, I cried multiple times, like genuinely moved by the characters and what they go through and the world that they create together, the world that gets destroyed around them and the world that they save together. I think it is a beautiful thing. So highly recommend. Highly recommended if you have any interest in a Dragon Quest game or any kind of uh, old school JRPG, like play this one. It's so good. It's so fun. It's so funny. And the characters are amazing. I love them all. Um, with the following caveat about the, the end of the game. Um, so, you know, there, uh, like, I, like I said, there's, there's a point kind of like halfway through the game where the, your heroes more or less lose, right? And there's a big catastrophic event. Your party is scattered to the wind. And then you spend like the rest of the game putting your party back together and like, you know, challenging the bad guy uh, to try and like set the world right again. Um, and your characters through the course of that uh, pay many hard prices, right? Um, and the the game in in the latter half really doubles down on focusing on your player characters' relationships, um, either to each other or to other characters in uh, in, in the world, right? Um, and a lot of those are family relationships, um, like sisters, brother, sister, father, uh, son, um, and it's all like super moving and really, really great. Uh, and then when you beat the beat the game and roll credits, then the game is like, hey, uh, you have the ability to go back in time and uh, change one of these things, go back in time and stop one of these horrible prices from being paid. Um, and I don't know if I have the heart to do that because the sacrifice as it played out through my gameplay meant so much mm-hmm. um so like but do you have to i mean do you have to anything i, I can stu- the, i've rolled credits on the game uh, meaning that like if you wanted to continue to play the post-game content is that like a requirement so i mean at, at this point i can continue rolling around the world um as it is and like finish up the the side quests that I didn't already do, but like there is more story content when you go back in time because mm-hmm. you can only send your hero back in time, mm-hmm. um, and and so like he will meet up with your other party members at the point where you are meeting up with them, um, and then you have a chance to undo something. Um, and I'm keeping all this very vague on purpose because it's uh, a wonderful experience, and I want everyone to just experience it as they as it comes upon them. Um, but like the idea that to do like the next beat of story to see what the game is like, because that that is it's it's not like yes, it rolls credits, but then at the end it says to be continued, and then starts right back up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this game is its own sequel, or is like it it is. I think they're giving you an out saying like if you want this to be the end it can be your end and maybe it will be mine i haven't really gone back in yet um 
but yeah, I just I I don't know how I feel about uh, you know, there was a tragic loss and like that's sort of the narrative of that story for me. And if I take that loss away, I don't know. It, it makes the whole thing feel less meaningful. Yeah, that's really interesting. That is that is really hard. But I love the game. Uh, I thoroughly recommend it, and I'm sure I will. Am I? I am going to go back in and like actually do the. I'll probably start like a separate save. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that I am not saving over my uh, my cur- current progress. Um, and I will continue to report back. Um, Mark. Uh, did you have the opportunity to catch any awesome games done quick this last week? I saw a little bit. I'm looking forward to catching up on YouTube. I'm, I watched a Mega Man team relay, where I think they did like was four, that the Mega Man Seven run? It or? was like four, five, and six, I think. Okay, and then uh, they had like three teams, three different runners, each doing a game. It, it was interesting to watch. I think like the format, uh, probably would have been better if like. Because um, basically what happened is, like, once somebody gets so far ahead, it was really hard for anybody. To, you yeah, know, like, the third up. team was always kind of out of it. So I think they should have done, like, a Jeopardy Greatest of All Time thing where it's, like, the person, the team, everybody plays the first game, right? right? And then whichever team wins gets one point. And then, so that way it's, like, sure. easier for teams to, like, catch up. Um, I I watched the... um. The, this uh, punch-out playthrough, which is two guys on one controller, and they're both blindfolded. <laughs> so it's Wow, that's uh, incredible. It's Did amazing. it go well? Yeah, it no went way. great. They won. <laughs> I mean, they, they beat Mike Tyson. It was incredible. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, it, really cool to see um, <laughs> two guys holding one NES controller so that like one guy's just got the D-pad and the other one's got the, the buttons. Um, and I guess... Uh, they kind of split start and select, right? Because you need to use select for the like uh, uh, the uppercut, right? The star punch. I don't remember. All right, <laughs> I, I believe you. I hundred percent believe you. Hey, here's the thing: as someone who never uh, wrapped my head around any of the punch out games, uh, it's super impressive to see um, like the techniques that they used uh, to like communicate with each other and to communicate with the game because they're just going off of audio cues at, and like memorization at some point uh and that's just awesome that's so cool um and i'm i'm, I'm sure that we'll, i'll see like other uh you know uh, runs um kind of like pulled out and uh elevated throughout the course of this week um but man i just uh i, I love agdq it's super fun to watch all right mark you ready to get into the new releases yeah let's do it all right this week is the first week that Nintendo's releasing a game in 2020. Oh, and my god! It is January 17th. We're mm-hmm. getting Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Sharp FE, Encore. Um, great. Is this a, a game that you believe that you will be picking up, Mark? So, in my heart of hearts, I believe that someday I will pick up this game. Right. Today is not that day, and Friday will not be that day, because I've told myself that I'm not buying any more games until I finish Fire Emblem wow. Three Houses. Wow. And it wasn't on your list of games that you played this week, so... Right. I am not, like, making amazing progress on that front. Um, Because I still have Fire Emblem Three Houses, plus I have Dragon Quest XI-S. Which, again, I've logged over 60 hours in. And so the idea that I would be picking up, like, a third JRPG is laughable. Uh, I agree. To to myself. I'm laughing already. I mean, it's a comedy show. (laughs) Uh, And then finally on Friday... Uh, Dark Samus and Richter Amiibo are released. Every time we do uh, new Amiibos released, I'm like, this has to be the end of the Smash series. But of course it's not, because it'll be endless, just like the DLC. But this is the end of the characters. Oh, that, of the known ones. Of, of the, well, not of the known ones, because uh, we still have all of the DLC characters. Joker and uh, Banjo and the Hero and uh terry have uh the, those amiibo aren't out yet um but all of the the original the one that came with the game and the piranha plant are all are all out at this point gotcha um which is exciting that they're now uh, you know, i mean what is that 10 million amiibo <laughs> at least yeah like 70 something although i guess like a lot of those were 
probably they didn't like re-release all of them right or they weren't they didn't have like new ones right they weren't like new issue of them right uh the the only thing they really had to do was like go back and you know mop up the um characters that had been from like previous games that were making uh a comeback um and the sort of like shadow like they put out a peach amiibo uh you know or not peach uh so much as daisy Mm. um and obviously dark samus right now uh as an echo um, she didn't have her own uh, amiibo before. I feel like I mean that's incredible. I feel like amiibo becomes so commoditized that I'm just like, oh right, there's a snake amiibo. Yeah, where I feel like that's a really cool thing that exists. Yeah, and I just feel overwhelmed by it. And it's crazy to me that I'm like I don't and I don't own that and I'm not like ravenous for it. Right. Um. I remember. Jeez, this must have been well over a year ago now that I made the New Year's resolution to. Uh, figure out my relationship with Amiibo, and I've done it. My relationship with them is I don't really buy them anymore. I feel like it's uh, with the Smash Amiibo, it's kind of the same way with Super Smash Brothers Ultimate itself. It's such an embarrassment of riches yes. that I've kind of become immune to it. Right. It doesn't seem impressive anymore. Right. It's, like, it's like all like modern technology where you're just like, of course cell phones exist. Of course they work. Whereas, like, you know, you just take it for granted. You, I've just taken Smash Brothers Ultimate for granted completely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've still got a DLC character that's going to come out. And then way more. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's just stuff is going to keep on coming. But I'm saying, like, at least one more in this pack that we know of. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and if it's following in the, uh, you know, sort of pattern of the rest of them, it's going to have a ton of content with it. It's going to have a level and uh, tons of music tracks. And, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot. Um, but the point is the Dark Samus and Richter Amiibos are out now um, Mark one thing I want to draw attention to here in the new releases is uh, I don't know what's happening I think the planets are aligning Mercury is in whatever the opposite of retrograde is because there are so many sales on Nintendo stuff at the moment um, you can find a lot of it on the Nintendo eShop. Um, individual publishers are having sales. So like Ubisoft has a pretty big sale right now. Um, Devolver Digital, um, the Sega Ages and Arcade Archives, a lot of them are on sale. And then also like uh, Nintendo games are just like first party, uh, like AAA Nintendo games are as much as 30% off on Amazon and on the eShop right now. Uh, games like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Kirby Star Allies, Yoshi's Craft Worlds, Platoon 2, and Hyrule Warriors are all um, cheaper than they normally are. Friend of the show, June, is playing through Rayman Legends right now, which is a, a title that I've heard really good things about. Yeah. Um, he said it's on the eShop for, I think, $12 on sale. So kind of like, I feel like I should pick this up. Yeah. I have a weird mental block about non-Mario platformers or like non-Nintendo platformers, but uh this one has come such like highly recommended um i I should try it out and i believe previous guest uh greg smith was uh speaking highly of it as well when uh in our music episode i couldn't remember if it was legends or origins so which generically titled (laughs) raymond game is it it's legends that he was talking up origins was the one that i had played um so that's how we were just not quite (laughs) connecting with each other and that's why it lost that's that's why it lost um all right mark are you ready to close out the segment yeah let's yes i've said yeah let's (laughs) do do it it. like i gotta stop asking you i'm just gonna say (laughs) and now we're closing out the segment Now it's time for a regular segment on the show. It's time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or a group of performers didn't play their instruments for four minutes and 33 seconds. So for the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. For the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Mark, you mentioned it earlier, but let's talk about the Jeopardy! Greatest of All Time tournament. Uh, for those who don't know... Uh, the, this tournament is bringing back uh, some legendary Jeopardy players, including Ken Jennings, uh, who has the record for the most consecutive games of Jeopardy uh, played, uh, and Brad Rutter, who has the record for most money won in Jeopardy. It's like four and a half million dollars. And James Holtower, who uh, is the most recent like uh, person to like. Yeah, the thing they're like saying that he has the most records or something. Yes. Um well and one of those records is his one day total. Um and like the the previous one day total was something like seventy six thousand or something like that. Um and his record is over a hundred and thirty thousand. Crazy. Like he like almost doubled it. Um and he did this uh, a couple nights like 
in a, a row was just like kept breaking the record, kept going higher and higher. Um, so, uh, th- so this is the primetime lineup of the three of these guys. Um, and they, it's the first to win three matches and a match is made up of two back-to-back games. Um, and so the first three of them happened last week and the second half of the tournament is going to happen this week. It could end tonight, Tuesday night, right? Could be the end of it. Cause Ken is up, uh, two, two games. Uh, James has one and Brad has zero, which is kind of crazy because previous to this, like Brad had dominated, can every single time yeah, they've like, been up against each other. In tournament play, for whatever reason, like Brad is usually just really, really good, really fast, really smart. Um, but Ken has been stomping. Well, and Brad also... I mean, James has been giving Ken a run for his money. Yeah. And then Brad has just had a really rough go of it. Yeah, really poor luck. Well, so one of the things that I find most interesting is that James has had this effect on the other two guys. Um, where you, James is a, is a professional sports gambler. So uh, when on his original run on the show and in this tournament and in another tournament of champions, he always goes all in on daily doubles. He bets his total score uh, and does it every time. uh, And it's awesome. It's this amazing spectacle. And uh, both Ken and Brad have adopted this strategy because they have to. Right. Because otherwise the totals like James's lead gets goes so like over the top. Yeah, astronomical, 130,000, you know? Yeah. Like, it's such a high score. Um, and like, he can do it with one daily double. But it's also funny to watch them like play the board. Yes. Because like in Double Jeopardy, they are immediately just trying to get the daily doubles. Oh, yeah. They're going for 16 and $1,200 clues. Yeah. Oh, like just, and just skipping through the, the uh, categories. It's the kind of thing that makes me wonder why. Uh, n- normal people don't play the game strategically like that and i mean the people who win do yeah right yes um uh, but this whole thing has been such a delight because they're all having so much fun yeah and they're like so chill and comfortable about it (laughs) yeah and like they'll razz each other a little bit and uh, yeah i i love it i've uh have been following james on twitter since his uh run on the show like last year um, and now I'm following all three of them <laughs> and they just give each other so much crap. I love it. Yeah. They also give, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name for Alex? whatever reason. Yeah. Alex Trebek, the, the hose, they give him a lot of crap too. Mm-hmm. And like, he gives it back. Like, it's just really fun. Like the stakes are high and you can tell that, you know, like, um, it, there's pressure, but they're all such pros. Yes. They've done it so many times that uh and they've been on the show so many times and they know alex you know like that it is just been a lot of fun yeah um one thing i will note uh alex trebek not looking great during these shows which makes a ton of sense uh because he's dying of pancreatic cancer yeah. <laughs> uh which is horrible um but uh so it's it's uh it also feels like someone it's like a, a different person doing his makeup or like the lighting is different it's very or like something. orange yeah or like it feels very cakey but I'll, it's he's easy. in poor health. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's easy to forgive because you're like, who knows how much longer he'll be the host of Jeopardy? Who knows how much longer he'll um, be around at all? Yeah. And so this feels like such a wonderful kind yeah. of like opportunity to just like say bye. Yeah. And like celebrate him and celebrate the show. Yeah. Uh, I have long, for, I have long thought that uh, when Alex Trebek retires, that Ken Jennings should take that. Take the host role. That is such a good call. I am a hundred percent on right? board for that. Because like he's got the like background on any of the clues that they're gonna ask. Like I'm always surprised that like Alex seems to know the yeah. trivia facts. Um, but then like he's also just got like an easy manner about him. His brand is already Jeopardy, and Jeopardy is already like the uh, the Ken Jennings brand. Like they're already together. That's such a good call. I'm gonna be a little bit upset if that doesn't happen now. I don't know who else would do it. Who else should carry on? And they can't just stop with Jeopardy, right? No, there's no way. Um, and it also wouldn't really make sense for either Brad. Maybe could maybe be the new host, but like Holtower. No, I, I don't think that would. God love him, but God no. Love him, but no. <laughs> He's too good at playing the game. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, that's maybe the most perfectly time for 33 we've ever done. Thank you to the ensemble at the Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix. Mark, let's get into the news. I'm not going to ask you if you want to. There was, of course, a Pokemon Direct. A Pokemon Direct. So on Thursday last week, um, there was this Pokemon Direct that had two big Pokemon announcements. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, first, like we mentioned earlier, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX was announced for Switch. And the game is coming on March 6th, which I find a little bit befuddling. Tell me why. In the sense that Animal Crossing comes out on March 20th. Yes. Like, throw us a bone. Put it sometime in February. Yeah, I mean, it it does seem like something that they are doing just to do, right? Like, it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't feel like... Um, I mean, unless unless I'm like totally off base, I don't know that anyone's like, oh yeah, I get to play Mystery Dungeon again. Like, is there a, is this a a Pokemon Snap for someone? Is this a Pokemon Stadium for someone? Or is it just like a formality that like they have a Pokemon product that they can put out? No, I mean, I'm I'm sure there are people who are excited for this. For me, and this is my baggage, not theirs. But to me, it's it's like just put a game in February. Put it in February. So there's like sure. a release, you know, like a first party release every month in these first three months. Um, just to space them out. <laughs> yeah. Just to make us feel better mm-hmm. about the calendar. But again, that's my baggage. Uh, again, it's a remake of a GBA DS game from 2005. And it combines the red team and blue team versions of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon into one. There's, of course, some quality of life improvements. And... Uh, including like autoplay and best move features. It is a full price game, 60 bucks. Again, comes out on March 6th. Um, how do you f- feel about that price point? Uh, again, like I'm not planning on buying it, so I I like I kind of feel indifferent to it. Um, I think clearly not maybe not in the same league, but also kind of in the same league as like the Link's Awakening remake and that just seems to be, you know, like what uh first party nintendo physical release is going to cost yeah i mean i i would be interested to like kind of compare what the original games look like to what this game looks like um i i don't think the uh you know art style or anything here like is anywhere near um what they did to Link's awakening um but like the the point remains that you know in both cases it feels a little strange to have to pay 60 bucks for a remake of a Game Boy or Game Boy Advance game. Um but, you know, I mean it's you can either uh bite that bullet and play it or not. Yeah, by the same token maybe it's like you know, one of those things where they're like I guess we could charge 40 bucks for it, but is that really going to cause sales to be significantly greater? Yeah, Do you know what I mean? That's a great point. I like the people who are going to be excited about this are going to be excited about it either way. Yeah. And then second, probably, I mean, definitely the bigger news mm-hmm. is that Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield are getting an expansion pass. Very exciting. This is a big deal mm-hmm. because previously the expectation would be that you were going to get a third version, you know, like Pokemon Yellow, or that you would get a like uh, Black 2, White 2, or Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon type situation where you're either getting a third game or a direct sequel or something to that effect. Right. And they specifically called that out during the direct saying that this is in place of that. So uh, you won't, we, we're not going to see, or at least they're saying uh, right now that you're not going to see new versions of these games. You're just going to see the expansion passes uh, for them. Uh, and so to that end, the expansion pass is 30 bucks. Um, and they, it, you can only buy it as a pass, like as, as a set. Kind of like the Zelda DLC. Yep. And like the, uh, the Mario Kart DLC too, right? Fire Emblem. Yeah, like all of it. Yeah. yeah. That this is just like how Nintendo is doing it. You can't buy stuff piecemeal. They're just like, you buy all of it or not, or none of it. Um, and so it's coming out in two different sets. Um, the first one is the Isle of Armor, which is coming out in June. And then the Crown Tundra coming out in the fall. Right. So the Pokemon UK tweeted that the Isle of Armor was inspired by the Isle of Man. And then the Crown Tundra was inspired by Scotland. So I read that too, and I don't know if I buy it, <laughs> right? Because like, yeah, okay, it is cooler in Scotland, but it's a tundra, like, <laughs> right? Like it, it doesn't look Scottish to me. And similarly, the Isle of Man looks like, it doesn't look like the Isle of Man. The Isle of Armor looks like Japan. There's like yeah. a dojo. <laughs> L- loosely inspired, okay, shall we say. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, so the expansion... In addition to having new content, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. we'll also be introducing or reintroducing over 200 new Pokemon to the Galar region Pokedex. Right. And so these will be Pokemon that will be catchable within 
the areas to people who have uh, purchased the expansion passes. But if you have not purchased the expansion passes, the Pokemon are still gettable in the game if you're either uh, transferring them from Pokemon Home or if you are trading for them. Right. So while that doesn't, uh, you know, complete a uh, national Pokedex, it does bring it, uh, you know, up from 400 to somewhere over 600. Uh, still, you know, about 200 shy of um, uh, a full a full dex. Um, but they're making strides towards that, um, and sort of, to me at any rate, leaves the door open to them putting more Pokemon in. Um, even after that, in a way that I was not expecting. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I guess I'm not surprised they're doing it. I'm pleasantly surprised that they're doing it so soon. Yeah. Um, and I, I personally think this is a very smart and fair way to do it, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, these, um, they'll be available. Like, you can catch them in if you buy the DLC. But if you already have them from previous games, which is what a lot of people wanted in the first place, you'll be able to transfer them over from Pokemon Home. Yeah. I mean, the the thing about that, that it is still like, it's it's nice that you are able to do that. It still doesn't like address the, um, like the catch them all, you know, philosophy of it that like they're getting closer, but it's still not, it's still not all, you know what I mean? Um, which I mean, I, I was, I've always been fine with it. Um, but uh, it seems like a weird half measure to be like, uh, you can get more, but still not all. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. Again, as somebody who like never cared about it in the first place, this is a great. Point. Like it continues to not bother me. Um, do you want to talk about these new uh areas uh separately here? Uh, sure. Yeah. So we get the Isle of Armor, mm-hmm. and which introduces a new mentor named Mustard. Right. Uh, and who is new- clearly like a dojo, you know, leader. He is from the Isle of Man. From okay, but uh, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying that's not what the Isle of Man is <laughs> yeah. like. Um, and you also get some new trainers tacked as rivals, and uh, like in the gyms in the full like base game, they are different depending on the version. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also a new legendary Pokemon that you get uh in the Isle of Armor. Uh, who is Cub Fu? Uh, he's like a karate bear, um, and he evolves into Urshifu. Uh, two different types, which uh, one is a uh, fighting dark type Pokemon, the other one is fighting water, uh, and it just it you know they're non-specific at this point as to how it evolves into one form or the other. Um, but so that's kind of cool that in addition to restoring some Pokemon from um, previous games, there was also a new. Uh, legitimate new uh, Pokemon. And then Crown Tundra introduces a new co-op gameplay mechanic and plus like a bunch of legend legendary Pokemon. I guess new and returning seem to be. So uh, there, there is a, a new a, a new Pokemon that is the um, uh, uh, Calyrex which is a psychic grass type Pokemon. Um, but then yeah it's not really it looks like maybe there are Galarian versions of some of the legendaries, like the uh, the legendary birds from Gen 1. Um, but they showed, like, to my eyes, all of the legendary Pokemon um, that are coming back. And then, yeah, there are also those, like, weird kind of, like, golem-looking creatures with, like, different numbered dots on them, which seem to correspond with, like, the ruins in the area. Um, so... Yeah, I mean that'll be one of those uh, that we get more info on it as we get closer. I'm sure. But the uh, the tundra seems to be crown tundra seems to be really co op focused with like the focus being on these co op raids. Yeah. That where you get the legendary Pokemon. Um. So both expansions, my like understanding based on the video and everything is that the full area of the. Ex- uh, expansions are going to be like the wild area yeah. in that you can freely control the cameras. So they won't be like routes or the, the towns in the base game where uh, you know the camera's static and you move within it. It seems like the entire the entirety of the expansions are going to be like the wild area, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and is you know one of the more like novel and interesting parts about the base game. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all about them introducing more wild area esque uh areas <laughs> yeah the uh expansion also comes with new player customization options they showed off like l- a bunch of new hairstyles oh yeah you can you'll be able to choose like or buy different bikes change your uniform like all that kind of stuff 
Um, and if you pre-purchase the expansion pass, you get Eevee and Pikachu uniforms. Um, so uh, you, you mentioned already that you think that this is a good and smart way for them to do this. Um, is there any part of you that... or So uh, I think it's a little bit weird that even in doing these expansion passes that uh, Shield has one experience and Sword has another one. Um, that, like, if you did really want to have, like, a complete uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield experience, you've got to buy both games and both passes. Um, that is, you know, then, like, $180 investment, um, which isn't really, you know, you could also, like, just get Pokemon Yellow and have the entire, like, Pokemon you know, Gen 1 experience. Yeah, that's a good point. But then, in that instance, if you are, like, if you already have the two games, yeah, and you had to buy the third version, you'd still be spending $60. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and it, it, that's obviously, like, this sort of, like, completionist mindset of, like, getting all of those things. Um, it, uh, and ultimately, I guess I don't really have I mean, I do it, wonder, but. just, like, functionally, how it works on the eShop. Like, are you purchasing it twice or i guess when you buy the expansion is there the expansion for shield yes and the expansion for sword yes and you just have to choose which one you buy that's correct that makes sense that makes a lot of sense um i guess it, it's also a little bit weird in that like uh you know pokemon is always such a um like kid focused uh franchise that like you know they're not about like in-game purchases and stuff uh, but that someone will need to have a credit card or like Nintendo points or whatever to buy this expansion. Yeah, I guess I just feel like you don't necessarily like if you're a kid who's playing like experiencing Pokemon. Yeah, you're not really losing out on anything. Yeah, totally. You know, uh, if you aren't able to get the expansion again, like I, I, I don't know. To me, this feels like a very smart way, mm-hmm. like a very modern way to handle like these like idea of third versions it also gives them more breathing room right because then they're not tied to um it, uh trying to create a new game every year and so uh you just have like more breathing room in the schedule and they're able to support pokemon sword and pokemon shield for a longer period of time um so it just like sustains the investment that they've already made which i guess maybe is like a cynical business way to look at it but i think it's good for players too yeah well and i also think from like the early adopter standpoint too that like just experientially, you have played through the game, either all of it or as much as you were going to play through it, and then you get more content that you can then start to engage with your current save file without transferring Pokemon over to another. And thing. you don't have to go through the story again. You don't have to. Because that was people's big again. complaint yeah. about uh, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon is you had to go through the of like the entire narrative all over again before you could get to the new content. Yeah. Um. And for the like. Uh, I guess, like, not most casual players, because most casual players wouldn't buy, like, the third version anyways. But for most people, you're only spending the $30. Yeah. Right? Instead of 60 for a whole new game, which half of which you don't you've really already care played. about because you've yeah. already played. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it makes perfect sense. Um, And, you know, like I said, sort of uh, leaves the door open for the idea that they can continue to make improvements on it and treat uh, the new generation of Pokemon like a platform. Yeah, for um, sure. Which, you know, is obviously what we've seen in Smash um, and what we would like to see in like Mario Kart or whatever. So like, yeah, I this I, I like this more than I am like turned off by the idea i am feeling like the narrative that we've had for a really long time that like uh game freak is super conservative has kind of gone out the window Mm. in the switch era a little bit i mean yeah they haven't created a pokemon mmo they're not going crazy but it's like we saw uh we saw pokemon let's go which is you know kind of like an experiment yeah and then we've seen shield uh, which changed a lot of things about what we thought were always going to be true about Pokemon. They've basically, this generation, completely moved away from random battles. Yeah. Like, they still kind of happen in Pokemon Sword and Shield, but for the most part, they're completely avoidable. Yeah. Which is, like, a, to me, a huge change for the better. Um, yeah, and something that I feel like people are almost taking for granted because it originally showed up in Let's Go. Right. Um, that, like, 
you know, it's it's something that uh, in any discussion of Sword and Shield is like, oh, and obviously we've done away with this. Uh, but it's like, no, that's a huge... Like, fundamental change. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, it very would it would have been very easy to say that, oh, we're going to see a third version of Sword and Shield because that's what we've seen in the past. Yeah. Or a direct sequel or something like, the Game Freak isn't ready to cut, lose the revenue stream and just do DLC, but that is what they've done. So I think they, like, they are iterative, but I feel like we've seen a ton of change this year. Um, although I do think it is not outside the realm of possibility that in like two years we see another version of Sword and Shield that is all of the content all packaged mm-hmm. into one for 60 bucks. Nintendo hasn't seemed, and obviously Game Freak and Pokemon Company kind of does their own thing, but Nintendo hasn't seemed, I think we talked about this last week, that interested in doing that sort of like game of the year edition type stuff yeah no that is true but i mean if it gives them an opportunity to you know sell it one more time you know again uh just calling back to what i said before that like even in the expansion passes uh there's one trainer for the isle of armor for sword and another one for shield right um and both those characters appear in the game now um like with the most recent update uh, along with a galarian slowpoke um so like you know they're already like kind of trickling it into the games now and it's it's I, I like it when games get updated like this. So, you know, it's and it seems like a, a meaningful update. In an interview with US Gamer, Alexa... Oh, what, oh. sorry, what, one more uh, piece of information. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Oh, uh, right, right, right. Pokemon Home. Yes. Uh, th- that's it, basically. Pokemon Home, they mentioned that it is coming out uh, in February, and the Direct didn't have any information, but it did say uh, keep an eye out for more information coming soon. Uh, in an interview with US Gamer, Alexei Pajadov, the creator of Tetris, praised Tetris 99. He called it, quote, an absolutely great title. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's accurate. <laughs> He's not wrong. According to NPD's Matt Piscatella, uh, more than 1,480 titles were released on Switch last year in America. That's oh. over 400 more than PS4 and Xbox One had combined. Um, that's a lot of games. It is a lot of games. Uh, although if, you, you know, judging on the percentage of games, game titles that we actually read, uh, when we're looking at the new release Or have list, any idea what they are. Or have any idea what they are. It seems like there's a lot of, I don't want to say shovelware necessarily, but like a lot of... I think that's 100% true, but to me, that's the sign of a, like, healthy platform. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, like, you don't want it to be all that, mm-hmm. but the DS had that the Wii had that the nes had that anytime that there's a large audience you do you know it didn't really have that is like the wii u oh yes <laughs> no almost nothing came to the wii u which it's just kind of amazing how quickly nintendo's fortunes have com- like radically changed yes in the past like three years uh, I, I mean of course that is uh a- like after another radical change in the opposite direction from the wii era to the wii u Right. So, I mean, it's uh, Nintendo's always trying stuff. They're going to be up and down forever. According to research company Sensor Tower, Pokemon Go enjoyed its best year for revenue in 2019. What <laughs> world do we live in where that's true? It earned, according to them, $894 million in gross player spending. The second best year was its launch year, 2016, where it earned $832 million. Uh, pretty pretty remarkable stuff yeah um also shout out to sensor tower they've got the uh like mobile games uh market like analysis locked down anytime we talk about any nintendo uh, mobile game or how they're doing it is 100 sensor tower and they're look they got like the raw data but they're also like this is interesting that it's uh the most that it's ever earned in the last uh three years it is also uh we have no idea how accurate their information is i'm going to assume completely <laughs> Uh, all right, we got a little bit of more news about Super Nintendo World, the theme park land coming to Universal Studios around the world, but first in Japan, mm-hmm. presumably before the 2020 Olympics in just a few months. Um, we were kind of expecting, or at least I was expecting, uh, to get a opening date, a little bit more information, but really what the uh, uh, like presentation seemed to be was all about the connectivity. Yeah, well, and it's it's uh, even less of a presentation and more of just a trailer, right? Right. Um, and the, a trailer that's almost more of like a conceptual hype reel. Well, almost. they did have like in Japan, they had a representative from Universal Creative like talk through it a little bit. Okay, but really, the only information that we got was a little bit on Twitter from the presentation, and then the music video that they released. Yeah. So I, I recommend everyone go check out this music video because it is. 
uh, strange if nothing else. Uh, and the, you know, the song's a, a bop, like it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, what, what are we really able to like take out of that, that trailer? Like so, what, what did we really learn? Yeah. I, I guess like the big things we learned is that the whole idea of the land is that you are like participating in the entire land as a game. Yeah. If you've been to either Disney's Hollywood studios in Walt Disney world or, uh, Disneyland and visited Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars land. They do connectivity through something called a data pad, which is you download the Play Disney app on your phone, and then you can interact with certain elements of the land. It seems like Super Nintendo World is doing something similar um, in a little bit of a different vein, but like they show off an app, there's a map of the land, and then uh, points marked with like coins or something. Where you can, where you know that you can go and interact with it, yeah. To earn points yourself, they shut off these uh, like, like a little bracelets, wrist. yeah. That um, presumably have like an RFID reader or something Bluetooth that allows you to like interact with the land and then collect coins. To what end we don't really know yet, but they're really hyping up the aspect that like you will be able to play in the land, like the whole thing is a game. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how that manifests. Um, and I really like that at. Disney, like the the Galaxy's Edge, um, like data pad stuff, is really interesting, and also sort of like opened my eyes to the fact that they have a bunch of that kind of stuff around the park that's not uh, right. Star I Wars related. Yeah, I didn't really realize like you're just waiting in line at Peter Pan, and you can like do stuff. Right. Uh, or, or we we were stuck in line at a uh, Space Mountain for a while, and you know it it has like a bunch of games that you can play with uh, everyone that you're waiting with. And then also, uh, like, you can look around for, like, little runes that are, like, carved into the thing around the line and, like, enter those in. Um, so, like, there is, there are really cool ways to integrate it to just sort of make the more mundane parts of being at a uh, theme park uh, bearable. Um, but I think that the Galaxy's Edge stuff is a pretty good template for, like, how to make it something you actively want to engage with. Um, one of my complaints about it at Galaxy's Edge is that, being in that environment is so cool that I sort of hate that I'm encouraged to just look down at my phone, mm-hmm. which I do uh, for too many hours on any day anyway, um, and feel horrible about. Um, but so, like, I, I wonder how it, that's going to feel um, at Super Nintendo Land. Yeah, and I, I only did the Galaxy's Edge thing a little bit, but to me, one of the reasons that I didn't really it didn't really connect with me as like I'm doing these things, but to what end? Yeah, and um, uh, I to I, collect stuff, right? And yeah. I feel like that you know that it would be the question at Super Nintendo World, uh, for me anyways is like w- why would I participate in this instead of like you were saying just like enjoying the land for this beautifully rendered, yeah. you know, like world that it is. Uh, I honestly at this point have am so confused as to what's been like confirmed by Universal and what is just like well known. Um, but not official, and then what's completely rumored. But the the music video, if nothing else, seems to confirm if Nintendo confirm if N- Universal hasn't already that there's going to be a Mario Kart ride. Yes, and a where you'll go through Bowser's castle, if nothing else, yeah. and then a like Yoshi ride where you will ride on the back of Yoshi. Um, it looks like it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I are suckers for both theme parks and for Mario stuff. So, like, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> we know that it's coming to Japan this year, and then it'll roll out at Universal's other parks in the order of Universal Studios Hollywood, where it's already under construction. Again, uh, Universal has said nothing about it, but it's it. there's enormous steel coming out of the ground where right. it's going in the uh, bottom part of the back lot. And then the lower lot. And then it'll come to Florida and then Universal Studios Singapore. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, me too. Uh, Sony revealed to GameIndustry.biz that they will not be attending E3 in 2020. They also didn't attend last year's show. Yeah, so uh, you you might say, hey, wait a minute. That's about Sony and about PlayStation. This is a Nintendo show. Um, I, I think it just, uh, kind of taking the temperature of, of E3 here, um, for this year, um, you know, there'd already sort of been rumblings about like them reformatting the convention to like, maybe make it more of a fan focused show. Um, or, you know, they don't really know what the future of, of E3 is, let alone the present. Um, so, uh, you know, th- this last year, um, the hall that Nintendo is in, 
was sort of barren, right? Like Nintendo had a, a big uh, fun presence and there were a couple other publishers right up front. Um, but with Microsoft and Sony missing from, from that hall, it felt big and weird and empty. Yeah. Um, and I expect that this year will be much the same, right? Um, I don't, I, you know, last year uh, with uh, Sony pulling out, you know, Nintendo was like, oh yeah, we always expect to go to E3. And I wonder for how many more years that will be true. Um, do you think Nintendo goes this year? I think they go. I think I do think they go this year. I think Xbox continues to do their thing at like LA Live. Yeah, just, um, which is just across the street. Yeah, I. But yeah, it really makes you wonder because part of it's just like what value are companies like this getting out of it anymore? Like, yes, you could make it. It E three is just weird now because it it's this unholy hybrid of a fan convention yeah. that's not really a fan convention versus and this like industry business convention. And I feel like it needs to be one or the other. And if it wants to be a fan expo, cause you would see, you saw people at E3, a couple of people at E3, like doing cosplay, which was super fun, but it also felt out of place. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I would love for it to become like a PAX or something where that is encouraged, but I don't know that it needs to be or really that that's right, E3's like, place. PAX already exists. Yeah. A bunch of them, you know? Right. Um, and like, when we were, uh, you know, making plans to see various games uh, last year, like we wanted to see the Final Fantasy VII um, remake demo, and you know, we had to make a point to like go in early uh, before it was opened up to fans when it was like just press, um, and to like make our appointment for it, uh, and you know, even that, uh, you know, it was still like we were able to make an appointment, um, but uh, you know the lines just get long, and as soon as uh, as soon as the it's open to the fans too, then you can take. I mean, how long were we in line for uh, Link's Awakening? Like two hours, yeah, something, something like that. Like took that. a real long time. Um, so like you know, which isn't to be like well, the fans are in my way, um, because you know, uh, largely that's what I consider myself, even though I know we're going there to like talk about it on the show. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it, it's it's a weird and interesting thing, and um, Sony. Uh, sort of reiterating that they're not going, uh, in, and maybe this is just still in like a, a lead up to um the next generation that like they want to control when they're actually showing stuff off and don't want to be pressured to have something ready by the end of May. Um, you know that maybe makes a little bit of sense. Uh, but I kind of suspect they're never coming back to E3. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, I think it was Cat Bailey of US Gamer on Twitter, but. If it wasn't her, I think it was somebody else that they were saying that this kind of leaves third-party publishers in a potentially weird spot because if Sony doesn't do their full uh, PlayStation Five blowout before E three, then these third parties will have next-gen titles that they right. may not like. How do you talk about about them? How do you position them? Um, I mean, I, I wonder if people just are going to be because, like, we we have had a few games that have been confirmed for next generation hardware. Um, that that maybe those be like, maybe we'll see PlayStation Five logos on stuff. Yeah, that's true. Or you know, if uh, also like Sony themselves have talked about PlayStation Five, right? Like, it's not yeah. really this big unknown. Like last year, they were doing. Uh, sit downs with Wired. Yeah, you know, so maybe well, it's and they not showed that weird. off. They showed off the logo at CES <laughs> last week. So <laughs> the most liked gaming image ever on Instagram, he says, through vomit at his teeth. Yeah, I hate that. That is a a fact that we both know. <laughs> Why do we know that? And now, now our listeners know it too. Yeah, so sorry. Uh, finally, Nintendo of Japan produces a recruitment booklet for prospective employees. And uh, the most recent one includes original artwork. Somebody recently drew official <laughs> artwork featuring Wart, the villain of Super Mario Brothers 2. Yes. And as always, we endorse any and all Wart content. So you heard it here. The final Smash Fighter for the Fighters Pack confirmed to be Wart. <laughs> Isn't he already a trophy? Uh, who cares? Yeah, not me. <laughs> you can be both. Yep. Um, look, 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 look. I want... Nintendo needs to drive right back to Doki Doki Panic and just make another Super Mario Brothers 2. That's all I want. It'd be so good. That would be so good. All right, Mark, let's close out the news. 
That's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, you can share it on Facebook or Twitter. We love it when you do that. Mark, we love it. I love it. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell. And the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying praise Wart, and thank you for listening. Thompson. And I'm Mark David Christensen, and together we host Ah oh, Crap, a Hellboy podcast. The show dedicated to the half-demon hero brought forth by writer-artist Mike Mignola and published by Dark Horse Comics. Each week, we discuss everything Hellboy. Plus his expanded universe with the BPRD, Abe Sapien, Lobster Johnson, and many more. That's Ah oh, Crap, a Hellboy podcast on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.